Hello and welcome to another podcast. If you were listening to last week's podcast, I had a chat to David Plummer and I, I found it very interesting talking to him. And it also made me think about sharing something of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, mean, I talk a lot about um, photography and wildlife and, and uh, involve other people, but I haven't actually really spoken about what drives me to do what I'm doing. So I thought it would be worth doing that on a podcast. So here we are. Um, so I have a few drivers, if you like, about why I do what I do. My background, um, corporate-wise, I've been in sales for a long time. I'm not anymore, or not working for anybody, but that was the bulk of my career. And one of the things I loved when I got into sales management was creating an environment where people could be successful. So I was always very keen to teach people, teach salespeople how to be better salespeople and basically how to be successful. And I, I think from that, once you're successful at something you feel much better about yourself in terms of sales. Usually there's um, a cash incentive, you earn more money, you can do more things. So that's one of the things that sort of makes up my personality. And moving forward with that into what I'm doing now, one of the things that I felt very strongly, particularly through the COVID lockdown and um, going through all of that process, was how we can use photography to support our own mental health. And that led me to create the Creative Photography Academy, which was largely about helping people with their photography. And the wildlife photography kind of overlaps that area um, and and another one. So the first thing it does is to, I hope, help people. And if you're listen, listening to this and you're a photographer, hopefully what I talk about does help you with your photography a little bit, maybe gives you some ideas that you hadn't had before, maybe some insights uh, that have given you further ideas or helped your creative um, ability. And the other aspect of that is is connecting with nature because I feel very strongly from a mental health perspective that one of the best things we can do when we're not feeling um, 100%, and um, I can certainly speak from my own experience of uh, having depression and things like that, one of the best things to do is to connect with nature, just to get out in nature in any way you can. Not all of us can get out into nature, and it was something that David actually spoke about, David Plummer, last week. And I guess my or the solution that I offer to that is to have photographs that you can have in your home. And I love the idea of having a little area if you're able to do it, which might be a chair and a picture or two, where you can just sit and have a bit of time connecting with nature in whatever way that means to you. So it might be a wildlife print, it might be a landscape, whatever it might be. So not necessarily my work for sure, but just something that allows you to step away from the day-to-day if that's starting to get on top of you, just to have a bit of a break. And where the photography side comes in is that I've I have trained as a coach, so an, an NLP practitioner and a behavioral profiler. So I understand the benefits of having a hobby or a pastime that you can just lose yourself in. And when we do that, it's very it's very good for our health because it's something 
we can we we get a lot of enjoyment from. Uh, one, it's one of those things that when you're doing it, you start to lose track of time because you're so involved with what you're doing, you forget about what's going on outside. And I think photography is one of those uh, hobbies, if you like, if it's a hobby for you, but it's one of those activities where you can completely lose yourself. The opportunities to do something different, to be creative, to find new things, to constantly learn are pretty much endless with photography. I'm, I've been, I've been doing photography since I was a child and I'm still learning. And it's something that's been a constant thread through my life. Even when I've been um, heavily involved in my uh, corporate work, I, I love to go out and do photographs. I've trained myself. I was trained as a photojournalist. I've trained um, with a professional in um, England, um, a lady called Annabelle Williams, to do uh, portrait photography and weddings. Weddings aren't my thing, but I love portrait photography. And the thing that drives that is that, to me, a good portrait is one that captures the personality of the person that you're photographing and you just do that in one photograph. That was always my challenge and it's something I've tried to carry over with me when I photograph animals. So when I'm photographing wildlife, I love to try and get the kind of photograph that you wouldn't normally see. Now that's difficult these days because there are so many people photographing wildlife, but I'm not going to let that stop me. And also, I like to try and connect with the animal in some way, just allow the viewer, whoever's looking at the photograph, to feel involved with that animal in some way and whatever that is for them. That's where my input to it stops. So the first value, if you like, or the first thing that I'm trying to have uh, what I do deliver is to just help people with their mental health in terms of just having an outlet that they find rewarding, that they can engage their creativity, or just allows them to find a way to connect with nature if there isn't another way for them to do it. And there are all sorts of reasons why having a photograph in your home of, of an animal that you love might be the best way for you to connect. It just gives you somewhere to time out. The other thing that I wanted to do through all of that is to provide more tips and not just through chatting, but real training and the kind of training that makes sense. So starting from the perspective of having no knowledge at all about photography and the cameras, and then taking people through a process where they understand what's important, they are given the tools to open up their own creativity and really get to know the camera as a tool, whatever camera you're using. But that's basically what it is. The part what drives the result is the person using it, and um, in fact, David used a quote, uh, which is the best camera that, that you can use is the one that you've got. Or I paraphrase slightly, but I, I, I absolutely agree with that. So, photography is not so much about the camera you're using, but it's about who's using it because anybody, a, a good photographer, will get great results with absolutely anything because even if the the tool they're using is a bit limited they'll find a way around it or they'll find something different they can do that just uses the strengths of that particular tool so that's at the heart of my photography courses so they they are available they're not um, available through the website at the moment but if anyone is interested in those uh, they are available you can contact me directly and they are also available through the membership program the patreon program that i'm now running i'll talk about that again uh, a little bit later so that's the first thing, and it's to try and share what I've learned 
in many years <laughs> of um, photography. And that go- I learned in film days and it made me laugh because David was talking about having a notebook and writing down all the settings because you then had to send off the slide film to get developed and you wouldn't see it for a few days. And I was exactly the same. So I had a little notebook and I would jot down what my settings were because everything was manual on the camera send the slide film off to be developed and then it would come back and then I could look at what results I was getting and what settings I've been using. So how we use cameras today and the the amount of information we can get is just phenomenal compared to uh, when people of my age group started out. So that's the first part of it. The second thing is to support conservation and if you've been on my website or looked at uh, my catalogues or um, maybe even listened to me talk on certain uh, webinars or podcasts, obviously one of the things that I hope is quite obvious is that I'm very keen to actively support conservation projects. Now, if you look at TV or you're on social media, there are so many different groups asking for money, asking for support, that it's absolutely overwhelming. And depending on where where your interests lie, even if it's quite narrow, there are many groups you can choose from to support. So what I've decided to do is to work with projects that I've personally been involved with, so I know what they're doing. I might have actually been doing their work. So that was the case with Elephant Human Relations Aid in Namibia. And the other thing about those kind of projects is that they're very kind of low profile. So it's not like World Wildlife Fund or any of these really big organizations that have a huge presence and, you know, I hope get lots of funding to support what they're doing. But I'm trying to look out for the smaller projects and do something to support them. So EHRA, I know, is run very much on a shoestring, but what they do on the ground in Namibia is really important work with not only getting volunteers to help protect infrastructure for the local villagers and the the local people who live there but they're also educating the local people in how to live with desert elephants and the elephants that live in Namibia are one of only two remaining populations of African desert elephants now um, desert elephants have been identified as a subspecies before and now they're not anymore so it kind of twos and froze, but the bottom line is these these elephants are under threat and as all elephants are. And it's really important that local people learn how to live with the animals and that they get a, a level of ownership of the animals. They become their elephants. And through years of work that EHRA have done, that is happening now. And the local people, rather than seeing the elephants as a threat and and one thing I really didn't understand until I went to Namibia was how there's an almost superstitious fear of these elephants by a lot of the local people because elephants can travel a large distance they they do a lot of um, their grazing their browsing overnight they can travel up to 75 k's so if you're a local villager elephants can suddenly pop out of nowhere and because elephants are quite short-sighted They don't see what's around them until it's very close, and that can startle them, and that's often where these um, problems occur, where people are killed by elephants. And you may have seen film, I'm thinking of, um, this is actually in India, where elephants were going through some crops, I think destroying local crops, and the uh, local people trying to set them on fire, you know, to get rid of them. 
And, and clearly, elephants can be extremely destructive. They are a keystone species, so they have um, a very direct impact on their local environment, and they can significantly change what that local environment can produce. So it's really important that if we're going to continue to have elephants in the world, and that's by no means certain, it's really important that we learn how to live with them. And this is why I think what EHRA do is so important and why it's one of the projects I've decided to get behind. The other one I'm involved with at the moment is Half Cut in Australia. And what they're doing is buying up areas in the Daintree rainforest in Queensland so that it can't be developed and they're doing it one plot at a time. And I think also this is really important because rainforest is disappearing very quickly. That's where the half-cut name came from, that um, Jimmy Stanton Cook, who started half-cut, recognised that half the rainforest had disappeared. I can't remember from when to when, but certainly rainforest is disappearing at an alarming rate, particularly in places like Brazil through logging and even by McDonald's. You know, a lot of forest has been cleared to increase uh, the number of cattle that can graze. That obviously increases methane, which has a um, an effect on um, uh, what's going on with um, climate change anyway. But because you're removing trees, you're removing the planet's ability to remove carbon from the air. And a lot of it is so that you can have a burger, which is to me is absurd. And there are other, palm oil is another one that's, um, uh, you know, completely unnecessary in my opinion, but it's it's hugely destructive. But a lot of the time we don't know that's going on. So what James Stanton Cook is doing is in his own backyard in, in Australia, trying to protect the rainforest. And the rainforest up there in Queensland is amazing. I've been up there and it is absolutely um, an, an amazing environment. And there's so much we don't know about it too. And that's the other thing that I think people forget is our knowledge of what's out there in nature is by no means complete. We, we've probably done a little bit more than scratch the surface, but there's a huge amount we don't know. And this is why it's so important that we protect as much of the uh, the natural environment as we can. And I've just started supporting um, Tree Nation, which is basically when, whenever anyone buys uh, one of my um, artworks, they automatically, what comes out of that sale is um, uh, money goes towards Tree Nation and they plant a tree. So you're, you're planting a tree as well. And my other commitment that I made to myself when I started this was to donate 10% of the sales price of whatever I sell to the two projects I'm supporting. So not each, but split it between them. Um, but that's uh, something that I've um, worked hard to keep going. So that really um, is the other main driver of the business. And I guess the final thing, it's kind of an umbrella term, is to to try and build some sort of a community. And because of the nature of what I'm doing, because I'm doing it online, that means that community is worldwide. So on webinars now, there are people registering from all around the world, which is why I, you know, I could pretty much do them at any time of day um, and record them. But that's really why I do that, so that people from around the world who are interested in, in my work and like my work and want to stay involved with it, have that opportunity. And that's why I had the idea. It really came out of, in fact, the visit to Uganda last year in uh, September. Um, I met Sandra Gray, who does this research on golden monkeys. I mean, we met very, very briefly, had the briefest of chats. So I I met her 
um, a couple of times, but it was mostly towards the end of my time in Kasaro, and then we moved on. And that that was where we sort of based there to go and look at, uh, try and, you know, go find gorillas, which we were successful in doing in uh, the Magahinga National Park and the Bundi Impenetrable uh, Forest. And once I got talking to Sandra, she's got an incredible story and we ended up doing four podcasts. So if you haven't listened to them, I'd recommend that you you find them and um, look at them. They're not all quite clumped together, they're very close to one another. And I then had the idea of involving other photographers and I'd already copied an idea from a friend of mine, Shane Rosario, who runs We Are Observers in Sydney and one of the things he would do was have a monthly photo talk where a photographer, a local photographer, or usually a lo- local one, would come in and just talk to people who um, wanted to come along and look at their work and hear their story. So I did run photo talks for um, about a year uh, when I was doing the Creative Photography Academy. And in fact, Shane was the first photo talk photographer. And I... I'm personally always interested in listening to other photographers talk because often their stories are very interesting and how they got into it, but also how they approach photography and how they view their subjects and what inspires them. I I find very interesting too because I almost always get something from that that I can then apply back into my own photography. So that's why I've started introducing these podcasts with other photographers my or as either photographers or researchers because I have a few researchers lined up as well I'm uh, hoping to record podcasts with so my aim is to do one a month like that so that if if you listen to the podcast regularly you're not just listening to me babbling on about whatever I'm talking about at that that particular moment and with that aspect of community that was also where the Patreon um, idea came from so it was something I, I kind of experimented with a couple of just over two years ago now in 2020 and really didn't take it very far I didn't push it I really didn't have the the presence and the um, uh, the kind of level of engagement with people that, that I have now which is still growing which is good and I, I just felt late last year it was time to offer the Patreon membership again and the way I set that up is that there are four tiers. So that means you pay a different amount each month. And I've tried to pitch it very low. So the the, um, the lowest tier level, you basically cost the cup of a cup of, a cup of coffee every month. And uh, then you go to a bottle of wine every month, you know, just supermarket wine, not the, you know, stuff that's 100 years old, and then go from there. And the idea of the first two tiers was hopefully to bring people in who would you might not buy an artwork from me, but you might be interested in supporting what I'm doing. And um, hopefully a cup of coffee a month is is a, a good sort of price to aim for. And in doing that, you get access to advanced information. So I, I do an update. I try and do one a month about what's going on because there are a few projects going on at the moment. Um, you also get access to additional photographs, behind the scenes stuff that isn't generally shared so there are, there's a definite break in what goes on the public domain if you like things like youtube and um things that are generally available then there's a, another layer of material that isn't available publicly but is available to patreon members and there are discounts if you do decide you want to buy something from me so um you know it's not a one-way street hopefully you know you know in supporting me uh, you uh, then get 
some benefit that you enjoy and you feel that you're getting value and knowing that you're supporting the work I'm doing because um, it, it's it's not easy. There's <laughs> quite a lot of effort goes into keeping this stuff going and uh, trying to sell enough work to support these projects. But obviously the projects do get supported. Um, the So that's really what the bottom two tiers are about. And then the, the, the top two in terms of price they are aimed more at photographers who want to get more photography information. So there, there is um, material there that is specifically for photographers and for wildlife photographers as well. And um, in the top tier, there's access to my full um, courses. So you get the smartphone course completely. That's free of charge with the... Um, or it's included with the membership, or, or the you know being active at that tier, and then uh, you get a fifty percent discount off my DSLR mirrorless course, which is a more comprehensive course, but takes you through uh, my whole approach to photography. So to me, there are four stages in photography. There's imagining imagining what you want to shoot. So that would be a lot of research, maybe if you're planning to go somewhere, looking on Instagram, looking at. BBC Wildlife, look at National Geographic, whatever it might be, wherever you get your inspiration. So you've got some ideas about the kind of thing you'd like to shoot. The second stage is actually capturing that image. So that's knowing your camera and knowing your tools, basically, and, and getting the, the image. The third part of the process is the post-processing. So that's knowing something like Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever you choose to use. But um and that's all sorts of things. So it can be correcting, it can be switching things to black and white, it can be recropping, however far you want to go with that aspect of the creating the final image. And then the fourth part of it is what that image means to you, but also what it means to other people. And that's where you kind of let go of it. And it becomes an artwork, in my opinion, because to me, artwork is is subjective and it's about what it means to the person who's looking at it. So as creators of artwork, if you think of if you are a photographer, if you think of yourself in that way, it's the point where you let go of your creation and let it mean whatever it means to somebody else. And it may not mean to them what it means to you. So this is another part of the process. So all of this, um, that all of that stuff is in the, the, the top tier. And in those upper tiers, you get more access to me. And what I also had in mind was to try and open up the business, if you like, so that other people have some level of input. So that might be at one of the lower tiers, um, having a an input on what on which photographs go into the collections, the fine art collections. Because to get them in there, I have to do extra work. So it's not just popping something out of Photoshop and sticking it into the printers. There's actually other work has to happen to get them to the quality where they can be uh, printed. So I want to open that up so that it's not just my vision, but it becomes um, more of a broader vision because I think um, when you have two people involved or more people, the output becomes greater than the two individuals. And that's really where I'm trying to take the um, the artwork and the collections and, and, and all of that. So that's my longer term view of it. And I'm hoping that Patreon will be a good way of doing that and bringing people into the membership now as i record this i only have one person so it's been a bit disappointing i'll be honest with you but um, if you are interested please take a look and see what you think of it there are links in the website there are links in the um uh, podcast details that you i think you get when you look at the podcast so uh, please please take a look and if you do feel moved to just 
spend a, you know, a few dollars, a few euros, a few pounds, whatever it is a month, um, it, it would be very gratefully received because it allows me to um, carry on with other ideas and get your input and you can become part of this process if that appeals to you. So that really is it pretty much. What I will say about the tears, by the way, while I'm just thinking about it, is that the uh, the idea of them is that you can change tiers at any point or become a member or stop being a member at any point as well. I don't make a big deal over it. I appreciate people being involved, but also appreciate that circumstances change. We're living in very challenging times uh, for a lot of people financially and uh, very uncertain times. So I, I totally understand that now may not be the time for you to get involved in something like this or even buy artwork um, or whatever else is available. However, if you do feel you want to be involved, I would certainly love to see you there. So that's it for the, this podcast. It's different to the others. I um, don't often, I think, <laughs> talk about this kind of thing. And, and certainly I don't think I've really spoken much about what drives me in doing this work, you know, why I created Graham Elliott Photography, why I created the Creative Photography Academy uh, previously, and uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I, I thought it was good to talk about that, to talk about what I'm doing, because these are the sort of core values of the the organisation. It's to be there, it's to be part of the change I want to see in the world, to use that that quote. Um, the I'm very keen on supporting clients. The printer I use is absolutely excellent and I couldn't ask for a better printer they've been absolutely first rate so my aim from a business perspective is to walk my talk it's to give people the opportunity to get involved in conservation while hopefully enjoying what I produce and um, yeah that that's that's pretty much it so I'm going to stop at this point and thank you for listening I hope That's been of interest and I'll talk to you again in the next podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, With the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind the scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance and Whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcasts and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.